Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 80. We made it, everybody. All right. Good things. So, uh, wanted to thank everybody for listening to last week's mini-sode about uh, Wes Anderson's Rushmore. Wanted to let everybody know that uh, there are various things that you can do at the website. Um, For those of you who are watching... Uh, the Walking Dead on AMC. Travis Fishburne is uh, right, uh, continues to write about that and write recaps and also uh, occasional uh, opinion. And so you can go uh, on the website and, and read about those. Um, also wanted to remind everybody that uh, there are various things that you can purchase uh, at More Than One Lesson. Um, now, obviously, there's the uh, the shirts and mugs and like bags uh, that... <laughs> It's totally understandable if you don't buy. But uh, there's a number of other things, including uh, Josh's movie for the title. Uh, I will welcome Josh in now. Josh. Good evening. Okay. Uh, but yes, his his film for the title is avail- available for $10 plus shipping. It's the best mockumentary about Ultimate Frisbee that I've ever directed. You know what? I don't agree. I don't agree. I feel like it's pretty subpar. I think your follow-up to it was... I think your sophomore effort of mockumentaries about, about Ultimate Frisbee, I think it was much better. The next one was pretty good. Yeah. Um, for for love of the title. For love of the title. And then there's the prequel before the title. Oh. And then, the, you know, and then it was, you had a fun time, like, behind the title. Like, mm-hmm. that was in the DVD special. And features. then the, the uh, final one, closing titles. <laughs> there you go. Um, okay. Well, that was dumb. So, Good night, on. everyone. <laughs> But uh, what we also do is um, we also have a, an Amazon store where you can purchase in a variety of formats. You can purchase on Blu-ray, on DVD, and then where available on uh, like uh, Amazon Instant Video, uh, you can rent various movies that we've talked about on the show. So um, that would that would uh, so, you know some money goes to us for that, but not very much. Uh, so that's not really that big of a deal, but. You know, if you listen to an episode about a movie that, that sounds particularly good, uh, you can just click on the store, and that'll take you right there, and you can purchase it on one of those formats. Look how convenient that is. It's pretty convenient. We're doing this for you, the listener. Mm, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Sure. Think how excited you'd be. Yeah, okay. Um, and then also want to remind you guys that there is a, a monthly monthly uh, newsletter. Um, I... I Totally understand if you don't go to the More Than One Lesson website every day. Um, and so I do try to post, you know, anytime there's a new blog or a new uh, sermon recommendation or a new episode or mini I do try to post that like on Twitter and on Facebook. 
But uh, in case you don't see those, um, you can sign up for the newsletter and get uh, a recap of what has happened uh, over the last month. So, uh, okay. So here's the deal with uh, today's episode. Uh so I'm in the middle at the moment. I'm in the in the middle of a move. My wife and I are moving to a house, and so um, we were going to uh, Josh and I were going to talk about Zero Dark Thirty, but that episode got pushed back because uh, there would be a lot there would be a lot of things required. Well, yeah, and that's classified. Oh, there you go. Topical, redacted. <laughs> sure was. So there's there's black marker all over my face everywhere. So um, I couldn't even tell who he was. It's me, Tyler. It was dark outside too, so I, I closed the door right in his face before I realized. Yeah, you just opened the door, and said, "Who? Who's out there?" I was like, "What's that? What's that set of clothing standing out there?" Is that Claude Rains? Yeah. So moving on. Uh, so yeah. So we decided to do. Uh, we I think we've only really done it twice. The first with uh, Man for All Seasons, and then with uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, yeah. uh, talking about basically just devoting an entire episode to an older film and not having it be a companion film, and so, uh, so today we'll be talking about a movie that we have that basically from the very first episode I knew I was going to be doing an episode on at some point, uh, and people have certainly been curious to know what I think of the film. Though I, I've I've said on on uh, Battleship Pretension several times what I think of it, and that film is Pauly Shore's son-in-law. You know what? It's all right. I, I rewatched it recently, and uh, you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it's like in my top ten comedies, but it's probably like in the top fifteen. It's in my top ten with a uh, with a Christ uh, compared figure. You know, like yeah. a, like a Christ figure. Oh, no question there. about it. You know, um, the weasel. Yeah, it's all there. It's pretty good. And Biodome. Don't even get me started. I wrote a whole paper about that in college. Mm-hmm. So in my uh, oddly enough, in my road movies class. Oh. So, I made it work. I got a solid A on that. Did you? Yeah. So, and I cited it. I cited uh, all the, you know, all the bits of research that I did, you know. I quoted, uh, like, a Milton Friedman mm-hmm. and uh, Mother Teresa and um, Harlan Ellison. So. All right. And oddly enough, all, they all knew each other. It's very strange. Hmm. So, they, it, I basically just quoted a panel. That they were all on about were, were they biodome. About biodome? <laughs> oh. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, Josh, you you know I was just gonna I was I was taking us down a, a, a serious path, and then you've ruined. Why it. Why did you do that? I don't like serious paths. I know you don't. Mm-hmm. I see the way you're dressed with that clown nose. So <laughs> that's the microphone. Oh yeah, sorry. When I if I'm behind it at the right angle, then it looks like like I have a clown nose. There is no way we are getting a podcast award nomination. The reason I'm doing this pause is because I'm, I'm trying to do... The, if you could see if it was a video podcast or a vodcast, as I assume they're called. I think they are called that. Are they called that? Yeah. Well, that's why I'm a genius. Um, you'd see that I'm trying to do the face, or uh, get my face in the position so the, uh, the clown nose would be there. I tired myself out there. Yeah. I need a break. Yeah. Eat one of those uh, Easter eggs you got there. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. So moving on, um, don't do that on Mike. Okay, so enough screwing around, Josh and Tyler. Um, so yeah, the the topic of today's episode is, and it's in the description, so you you know, um, it is Martin Scorsese's uh, The Last Temptation of Christ, um, directed in 1988, 
written by Paul Schrader, one of my favorite uh, screenwriters and directors, a guy that uh, whose Adam resurrected we discussed uh, many years ago on the show. And you it was, discussed. What was that? I wasn't here. You discussed it. I like to say we like the oh, like listener. you and the listeners yeah, discussed yeah. it together. Yeah. I did most of the talking, admittedly. Yeah. But uh, but you know what? That's kind of the way it goes. I'm really the only one whose That's opinion a, oh. is worth hearing. Yeah. It's okay. All right. So, um, and it is based on the book by, uh, yeah, Josh, you pronounce it. Nikos Kazantzakis. Kazantzakis. Okay. Um, I only know that because I heard Scorsese say that name. I think otherwise I would have had a little trouble with it. Okay. Not a, I, not, I didn't hear him say it in person. But I've I've heard him talking. We about were talking to him before we started. He recording. was just over here. You know what? Yeah. We should have told him to hang around for the episode. That would have been a good idea. Uh, I am kicking myself we today. Always forget things. Anyway, Marty says hi. Yeah, but like in a really really fast way. So um, hi, yeah, stuff like that. He's got places to be. Um, so yeah. Uh, so this film, I'll 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 give a brief introduction as far as my my own history with the film. Um. You know, there there are some movies... I didn't see it until probably, uh, like, 2000, I think, my first... Uh, I think my, either my senior year of high school or my freshman year of college. Um, and I, like so many other people, I had only known about the the controversy. You know, that it was sacrilegious, that it was all this other stuff. And then one day, uh, I don't know what happened, but I think I just... I had made a decision that, like, you know, I, I've been avoiding this too long. Um, and... And... How do I know? And it's like, and, and I, I had this idea that's like, okay, well, I should pray beforehand, and I think my faith is strong enough to withstand some sacrilege. So let's give it a shot. So I watched it with a friend, and uh, much to my surprise, pleasant surprise, uh, I thought it was amazing, both as a film, but also uh, thematically. And I would say spiritually, um, I was, you know, I had tears in my eyes at the end of it. Um, and I just felt so, so close to Christ. Um, and what I've, what I have often said is that, um, the way a lot of other Christians feel about the passion of the Christ, that's how I feel about last temptation. Now I'm not a huge fan of passion of the Christ. We will probably do an episode about that at some, at some point in the future, but, um, but yeah, it's just this idea of like, I don't, I don't know what happened, but just in watching it, like, yeah, there are things that, that upset other Christians and maybe, maybe in the moment they even upset me, but by the, by the time the film ends and the note that it, that it ends on, um, I just, I was just, and, and I'm going to throw out some, some Christianese terms here. And so if I scare any of you off, I apologize, but I really was just sort of glorifying God uh, for what he had done. Um, and, and I was so happy that I watched it and I've seen it a few more times since then. And, uh, and it's been a, it's been a a different emotional experience every time. Um, sometimes I'm, I'm overcome with emotion. Other times, not really. It's more just other times I'm more interested in, in the philosophy of it and the, uh, and just a, a thematic, discussion of it um i think the last time i saw it um was uh, my friends and i for the last few years last few years have had a a weekly movie night and so a few years ago uh we announced to not merely our central group of friends but 
uh, sort of our extended group that we would be watching the movie. And so uh, some people who had not seen it before uh, came to watch it. And uh, I guess I'm not necessarily surprised by this, but um, I was... I didn't expect them to love it or embrace embrace it as much as I do. Uh, A lot of people don't, and I don't necessarily fault them for that. Um, But the the amount to which they were frustrated by it uh, did surprise me, Um, and and it it astounded me that like it's like how can how can I how can I get this much out of it and you don't? And again, uh, the same could be said of any number of movies, whether they have anything to do with Jesus or not. Like everybody has everybody brings separate things to the table and yeah, so you can experience it in the same way yeah and so um so we'll talk more about it in a moment but first i'll uh i'll throw it to josh josh what was your what is your history with with this movie because everybody seems to have one um i think i knew of it but didn't know very much about it and then i saw it in uh in school with a uh i think i've mentioned before but i did a program here in los angeles called the los angeles film study center during college and uh one of the uh one of the classes that we had was kind of on film theory and film history and and then we had a like a symposium sort of where we watched several different films that were about about jesus in different ways and uh they were kind of from all over the place i I think actually, I think that was the year that the Passion came out. So I think we saw that in the theater. You know, <laughs> at that point, not knowing at all what it was going to be. Yeah. Um, but then we watched this. We watched uh, Life of Brian, and which a, we will be talking about at some point on this show as well. I think we should. That'd be interesting. Um, and then a uh, Canadian film called Jesus of Montreal. Oh yeah, I know. Which yeah. uh, is is interesting as well. But do you ever see an odd little movie called Greaser's Palace? I don't think so. It is a strange kind of comedy western, sort of, that has like a Christ analogy, and in some cases, like a Christ analogy insofar as the character that is the Christ figure, his, his name is not Jesus, but his story is basically Jesus. Like, I think he hmm. winds up being actually crucified. Really? Um, and he's played by, I don't remember the name of the actor. But the uh, the psychiatrist from the TV show of Mash. Um, okay. But yeah, and I don't remember. Hmm. I don't remember who made it. Um, I did know for some at some point, but like I saw it years ago, and and it's such a strange little movie. But it is worth seeking out. Greaser's Palace. Hmm. But I'm sorry. Go on. No, that's all right. Um, so so I ended up seeing it for this class sort of to discuss and I knew there was some controversy about it. I just kind of assumed that uh uh Scorsese had made kind of a biopic of Jesus and since he's not particularly a Christian, um I could see why people would be upset about it for, you know, whatever reason. So I kind of didn't know what the central idea behind the film is or I guess that's right um, the fact the reason that it's called the last temptation of Christ I kind of didn't know about that whole aspect of it which uh, that's interesting because I think it's one of those things where throughout <laughs> throughout a lot of the last the, the end of the film if you're looking at it from from a totally biblical 
historicity standpoint, you start to get angry, like, well, that this is all wrong. Like, how could they do all this? And mm-hmm. then um, when it actually comes to the end, you see the, the reason for all that. Um, or at least I think you ought to. I did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I, I was kind of fascinated to find out how much of a backlash there was from this. Um, there were apparently people were going and like cutting up screens at movie theaters so that people couldn't watch them. Like, yeah, there was actually because I looked up some of it uh, before this episode, and apparently, like I think somewhere in I don't remember somewhere in Europe, I think somebody had, like firebombed a theater with people in it. By the way, <laughs> and uh, and I know the Pope condemned it, and I know that you know this. Uh, low, uh, slightly lower stakes. I know that Blockbuster uh, didn't carry it hmm. uh, for a while, um, and then they did after a while. I guess there's the controversy calmed down a little bit, but uh, yeah, it was it was crazy. I don't. I, I sort of wish that I had been older at the time, yeah, uh, so that I could understand it and uh, not necessarily understand it, but so that I could witness it and because and, everybody knew about it. Yeah, like I almost I can't imagine something like that happening nowadays. Like I can't imagine a movie that has something, even if it did have something openly bad to say about Jesus or Christianity, which I don't think this film does. Right. Even then I, I can't really see that happening. I'm trying to think of something similar recently that's been, well, you hear about that, uh, that play on, bo- on Broadway, which uh, I, I know very little about, but ev- like you've all, everybody's heard about it at some point, probably in a negative way. Um, about like oh Jesus, uh, it depicts Jesus as gay and and his you know involved in like uh, affairs with his disciples or something like that. Um, I don't really know much about it, um, but like if somebody were and that that caused a, a lot of uh, mm. a lot of static for for that uh, playwright and stuff. Um, I'm sure he must have expected it though. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if if somebody were to if somebody were to make that into a movie, mm-hmm. uh, because movies you know can be very widely distributed, whereas plays. Uh, not so much. And yeah. so if that were put out there uh, as a film, I do think that uh, that, that would probably cause something. Mm-hmm. So Someone's probably doing it right now so they can cash in on that sweet, sweet controversy. Yeah. Controversy. Yeah, there we there's go. No, there's no H in that word. Um, but yeah, I, don't, it, I, was, I was surprised at what a, what a stir this film caused. The Pope came out and yeah, and uh, condemned it. <laughs> pardon me. Pardon me. Feels like if if the Pope's coming out and condemning movies, is it like a it's like a slow year for Christianity? Like, <laughs> is there not something better to do? Well, and and a, a lot of the a lot of the controversy. Not unlike, I mean, the the example I just gave. If somebody had uh, you know turned a, uh, that play into a film, a, a lot of the uh, controversy was borrowed from the novel. Yeah, um, because that that got a lot of people's ire up as well. And so mm-hmm. the idea of, of a major filmmaker like Martin Scorsese, who admittedly like by that time was not, it's not like he was a small filmmaker, but like he was, he was, he, he was not yet at Goodfellas and he yeah. wasn't, and he was past raging bull. And so he was doing stuff like, you know, King of comedy and, you know, New York, New York and, stuff that was not incredibly well received even if it is good mm-hmm. um and so he did new york new york right i want to make yeah, sure i got that right yeah. okay and so um so yeah uh so i it just and it's such a strangely high profile 
movie. And then like some of the casting, like Willem Dafoe, who is fresh off of his Oscar nomination for Platoon, in which he plays a kind of a Jesus type character in that. Um, you know, Barbara Hershey, uh, who I think was sort of at, at her height of uh, you know how well she, how, how well known she was, and I think she had worked with Scorsese before, and I think she's the one who actually suggested to Scorsese that uh, he read this novel and maybe hmm. make a movie of it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it's just such a fascinating film in every in every aspect, like the making of the film. The, right down to certain casting choices. Yeah, like some of the casting choices might seem like they don't fit to, to yeah. your average viewer. Yeah. Um, the, the one that gets me the most is Harvey Keitel as Judas. Like, not not hiding the New York accent. It's just... No, not at all. It's just Harvey Keitel. Um, and uh, incidentally, I wrote down some of the more interesting casting choices. Yeah. Uh, 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 Irving Kirshner, mm. director of The Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> yeah. is in the film. Uh, yeah. uh, one of my favorite musicians, John Lurie, is in it as James. Mm. Um, David Bowie is in it. But of David course, he, Bowie's in there. He was known as an actor at the time as well. Yeah, because he, he did do several films yeah. in the 70s. Although this is this is 88. Yeah. He was just known to be sort of out there and do yeah. crazy things at this point, I think. And incidentally, I love um, his performance, but we'll talk more yeah, about that later. That's, well, well, okay. If we'll talk more about that later, I'll, oh, sorry. I'll let it go. No, that's okay. But, um, but yeah, and so, uh, so, but when you saw it, you had, what kind of response did you have? I liked it, but I had that, that response where through the end of it, I was like, okay, now I'm starting to see why this is controversial and I don't really like what this is saying about Jesus until it gets to the end. Yeah. I feel like it's a movie you could walk out of and be furious about what the movie's trying to say and, and then realize, oh, that that isn't what the movie was trying to say, which is then, I guess, makes it one of the films that I think proves that rule that you really have to watch a film beginning to end. If you miss one little thing, it could, it yeah. could change the entire film for you. And I've said this before on, on both shows, um, and I'm not sure how much I believe it, but I think I do sort of believe it, that a movie is about how it ends. Now, there's a, there can be a lot of individual scenes in which the theme, in which a theme is explored or something like that, but, you know, how a movie ends, like, that is that is the thing that you are most likely to be thinking about as you leave, and, the yeah. film, and filmmakers know that, and so... And that's you know, most often what's going to sum up what yeah. what the movie is about, whether that be plot or theme. Yeah, and that can that can bother some people. I mean, you know, you look at there are people that loved like a No Country for Old Men. Mm. Then you look at how that ended. Now I know that it ends like the book, but at the same time, like the Coen Brothers chose to end on that note. Why? Yeah, and the and. Now, then you have to ask yourself, why end on that note in this weird little thriller? Yeah. Why end on this? Yeah. You know, and so... I love that ending. <laughs> I, do, I think it's amazing, you know, but it's it's one that, like, when you get a film, especially when you get filmmakers like a Scorsese or a Coen Brothers or Paul Thomas Anderson or something like that, um, you know, they don't do anything lightly. And yeah. and how they end a movie is going to be, ve- is something that I'm sure they've put a lot of thought into. Yeah. And so the note that Last Temptation of Christ ends on, like, this is clearly what he wants. This is the movie now. Yeah. Like, 
it's been a long journey. It's a pretty long movie. It's like two hours, 45 minutes. Yeah, something it's like a longer that. one. So like, and for the last 45 minutes, there's, there's the sequence in which what you're talking about, you know, where people are like, what is going on here? This is not the Jesus that I know. Like, so right. for 45 minutes, so for a good portion of the runtime, it has taken this turn and then it comes, you know, screeching back to what we know and that's what it ends on. I like how it makes that noise like a record stopping and then it kind of rewinds through everything. <laughs> that's the, that's my favorite effect. And so like, so that's the, and also certain choices. Um, we'll talk about the music in more detail in a moment, but, uh, but you know, I mean, you look at the last shot and you look at the musical choices and I, you know, and this is the thing is like, I, I, I recognize that it's, it's very easy to say, I don't see how somebody could take it, take this movie or that movie or this song or whatever, any work of art. It's easy to say, I don't understand how they could see it any way, but how I see it. Yeah. It's very easy to say that. Mm-hmm. And so, and I recognize that that's, that's too simple, especially with a movie like this. However, that shot, that last line, the, the expression on Willem Dafoe's face and then the music, and it's like the, it ends on a note of triumph and optimism and happiness. And, like, it, it astounds me that there are people who look at that movie and are furious. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, I'm even okay with you being furious, but, like, now you've given – now – with that ending, it has given you the opportunity to not be furious. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing. I don't mean to be dismissive of people's attitude. Um, there are a lot of people that I that I love and respect who don't respond to the movie mm-hmm. uh, in a positive way. Um, and we've talked about it, and uh, I don't agree with them. They don't agree with me, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it it's that it is that kind of movie, especially in the in the in the Christian world. Um, just people bring a lot of, uh, I won't say baggage cause that has maybe too much of a negative connotation, but they bring their own spiritual journey with them to the film. Mm-hmm. And if the film doesn't quite match up with that, yeah. um, it can be frustrating, you know? And yeah. so, and some of it can be a question of whether you're engaging with your, how much you engage with your Christianity on a intellectual as opposed to an emotional level. Yeah. Because I feel like if if it's more about the emotion to you, I could I could more see how something like this would be shaking, yeah, to you. Uh, how it could shake your faith or something like that, because it's uh, it just presents something which which is not what you know of Jesus. I, are we talking too much in vague generalities about it? Do you think we ought to maybe get into like what the, like the specifics that we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, we can we can probably and that's the thing is you know we can get in we can be vaguely general about the specifics as well Hmm. um and and basically the way i would describe it i didn't write a a synopsis or anything because basically the life of jesus but from a very specific point of view because you know the christian belief of jesus is that he was god and man he was fully human and fully and fully divine and so you know the the bible itself and then various works of arts, uh, movies, books, paintings, whatever, they really explore Jesus from the divine standpoint. And admittedly, that's the important one. Yeah. However, it is worth noting that there are parts in the Bible in which Jesus does something or says something that doesn't seem divine. 
mm-hmm. saying things like, you know, let this cup pass from me. And like, mm-hmm. why has thou forsaken me? Stuff like that. Like, to me, it's just like, okay, this is a whole other episode. <laughs> but when people talk about like, oh, everything, you know, everything the Bible is just made up. And I'm sure some of our listeners, I know some of our listeners believe that. And, uh, and to me, it's just like, man, if you're going to make something up, you don't have the main guy say that. Yeah, because that the very fact of this of the hero of the whole thing questioning to that extent mm-hmm. being forsaken and not and not wanting to do this thing that he knows is a good thing yeah. ultimately because he's kind of afraid of it and also nobody wants to go through uh, unspeakable pain like that like yeah and also also the fact that he like if we are saying that he is fully god and then has and as such has a complete knowledge of what is going to happen that i think is a fascinating uh nugget of the free will versus uh versus predestination debate that a lot of people christians are often having because here you have someone who he knows what's going to happen like but he asks for something different to happen yeah even though he not only he knows what will happen but he knows what's right to happen and he knows what he's going to do yeah and what needs to happen and of course he wants it to happen but he also doesn't want it to happen and that like that's so complex and i could see that really shaking some people and yet it's there Mm -hmm. i don't know that's that's just my personal opinion from a sort of a creative perspective if somebody's going to make this up and they want people to believe it and subscribe to it you probably don't do that because that gives them a reason to not Mm -hmm. so that's my personal opinion and so it's that aspect of Jesus that the film wants to uh, explore. Mm-hmm. These moments of, I, you could call them doubt, or you could just call them humanity. Yeah. You know, nobody wants giant spikes shoved through their hands and feet. You know what? I don't. <laughs> Josh? Not right now. Right. Look, I may want spikes jammed through your hands and feet. Well, who doesn't? Uh, you know what? I'm on board with that. Yeah. And um, uh, the listener's like, oh, can't we just <laughs> nail this guy to a cross? Um, but, uh, but yeah, and so, like, it's a very human thing. And so the film explores that, mm. and I feel like that is a very noble and a very worthy goal yeah. and a very worthy journey to go on. And and that might make some people uncomfortable, but maybe it's – Maybe it's the same type of discomfort that the person feels when they read those things that Jesus said. Yeah, and that because it doesn't gel with it doesn't gel with the narrative that that is so often put out put out there and highlighted, mm-hmm. but it is there. Yeah. So, and so that's basically what the what the film does, and that's even before um, you know they, a sequence that. We're we're going to assume that you've seen the film. We're going to do have some spoilers for the movie. We're about a half hour in. We haven't spoiled much, um, and we've spoken pretty vaguely. So we are we are going to be speaking in spoilers for the film. So if you've not seen Last Temptation of Christ, you don't want it spoiled. Stop listening now. Go and watch it immediately, and then come back. And it is worth watching. It is absolutely worth watching. And so, um, so yeah, it's so before before what is eventually revealed to be a fantasy sequence Mm. um even before that there are aspects of jesus that i I think people uh, are uncomfortable Mm -hmm. uh with so so yeah that's 
we've been doing a lot of intro here and I feel like the intro is finally over. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I want to, I real quick, I want to read something like here's, here's a, a line that Jesus says in the film. I'm a liar, a hypocrite. I'm afraid of everything. I never tell the truth. I don't have the courage. When I see a woman, I blush and look away, but inside I have lust. For God, I smother the lust, and that satisfies my pride, but my, but my pride destroys Magdalene. Uh, in the film, his relationship with Mary Magdalene, Magdalene is uh, explored. Um, I never steal or fight or kill, not because I don't want to, but because I'm afraid. I want to rebel against everything, everybody, against God, but I'm afraid. If you look inside me, you see fear. That's all. Fear is my mother, my father, my God. So, you look at a line like that, said by Jesus, in which he refers to himself as a liar, a hypocrite, somebody who lusts, somebody who feels pride, somebody who is incredibly human, And that doesn't quite gel with the idea of Jesus as somebody who did not sin. And so we'll just use this as a jumping off point. This is, and there there are moments when Jesus embraces who he is and is in many ways a very human and a very passionate Jesus, the Jesus that you see in the Bible. But then there are scenes like this. Josh, I'm going to put the pressure on you right now. I'm not going to ask how you square this little pa- this little monologue here. I'm not going to ask how you square that with your views of Jesus. But like when you first hear that, we're not even to, like I said, we're not even to the fantasy sequence yet. When you hear that, what? How do you? How did you respond initially, and how do you respond now? Um, I don't remember exactly how I responded initially, but uh, I mean, I feel like you can do two things with that. For first. The first thing that you have to recognize in seeing the movie is that this is not gospel, so mm-hmm. it's not fact. Like it's, it shouldn't be read as this is something that we should think probably Jesus said, right. or um, you know, we shouldn't take this as part of the story. This is a, it's based on a book by someone who you know was exploring an idea more than trying to present his own version of the gospels in many ways it's like when you watch lincoln or capote or nixon or any of these other films about historical figures in which it shows like conversations with their wives that well those were never recorded it is something that the person is speculating on and the speculation could be you know it it, could be subjective especially with a movie like nixon or something like that so it's it is that and so the christ just like any of these other historical figures um is just as much a a movie character at that point that somebody is writing uh as sort of an original character yeah and so once you get past that uh then i think it's just interesting to kind of unpack that idea and think for yourself like what does it what does it mean for jesus to say something like that and um i think one thing you can get out of it is seeing uh you you mentioned before the doubt that he has and that doubt is a very human emotion i don't know if you'd call it an emotion necessarily maybe you could but um we're told that Jesus experienced everything that we did. So, um, there are times when we feel this way about ourselves. There's times when David talks this way about himself in the Psalms. 
Um, but there are times when we distrust ourselves and feel overwhelmingly negative about ourselves and, you know, wonder about why we do things and wonder about our motives. Um, and so it's interesting to at least dwell on the idea of Jesus doubting his own, doubting himself, doubting his emotions, um, you know, feeling the, the, I guess the pain from temptation, mm-hmm. um, when he talks about like lust specifically. Yeah. Um, and, and fear. It's just interesting to think of it in that way. Now, some of these things you, again, since we're talking about it, it, this being based on a book, there are some of these things which I, I don't know that are consistent with the character of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we, you know, we believe that he did not sin. So in any, in any way that one of these things would be seen as sin, that's either like not the way we really should look at Jesus or it needs to be looked at some other way as if it's not a sin. Like, so you can kind of explore the idea of feeling like you've sinned mm-hmm. without actually having sinned. Yeah. Um, and it's impossible to know, but I feel like that could be something that the Christ experienced. Yeah. Because that's the thing is, I mean, you know, in the Bible we do see depictions of, you know, Christ being tempted in the desert um, and resisting. And incidentally, we see that in the film as well. Um, And that's actually, I think, a much more consistent view. Like when we actually, like in the Bible, when we have a very clear cut depiction of that, the the movie seems to want to be true to that. But Mm -hmm. when it comes to like the day-to-day temptations that everybody goes through, you know, we don't necessarily know how Jesus responded to that. Maybe it was like this. Maybe it was, you know, with uh, peace and and being calm about it. But at the same time, like, as you said, like, if you went through everything that we went through, then maybe there is some struggle there. Struggle that we, uh, we often give into, but he did not. But what would that struggle look like? It might look like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I know many people who feel tempted one way or another, and for them, just the temptation is enough to cause them frustration. Um, and they feel like they've done something wrong simply by the temptation, even if they haven't done anything about it. And so, um, so it could be that. Um, and if you are going to explore the human side of, of Jesus, then I think entertaining that notion and taking f- and taking your cues from yourself and saying, well, this is how I respond to, you know, trying to be holy while also being tempted. Like, this is how I respond. So mm-hmm. let's put some of that, let's layer some of that on there, you know, and also the idea of him being wrong. Like, is it a sin to be wrong, to be incorrect when, you know, like if you say I'm a liar is it a sin for Jesus to call himself a liar and be incorrect? You know what I mean? Like it's, it brings up some very interesting ideas about what sin is and when a sin starts and that kind of thing. And, and mm-hmm. you know, then you start getting into like some interesting concepts and doctrine and you can get bogged <laughs> down in things. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it brings up some interesting stuff. And so, but, you know, there are other times when Jesus embraces who he is and what his mission is. And we, we've got a monologue here um, where uh, I'll have Josh read it, where he's much more he's much more bold. He's the Jesus that we see 
in the Bible with a with a mission and being very outspoken about it. So this is this is from the scene where he goes back to uh, Na- uh, Nazareth and tries to preach to the people that he grew up with, which uh, of course n- did not go well. Mm-hmm. So, um, but here's this monologue that Jesus says to these people: Josh, yeah. take it away. He says the Messiah doesn't need miracles; he is the miracle. Now he's here. Are you ready for me? I'm here to tear down everything around you. And you know what I'm going to replace it with? Something new. God. The world of God. So take your bread and give it to the poor. What difference does it matter what you own? You have gold and silver? It's going to rot. And that rot is going to eat away your heart. All of you. There will be a flood. And there will be a fire. Everything will be destroyed. But there will be a new ark riding on that fire. And I hold the keys and I open the door. And I decide who goes in and who doesn't. You're my brothers from Nazareth, and you're the first I invite on the ark. Don't wait. Don't waste your life. Come with me. Okay. So. <laughs> the idea of an ark riding on fire it really sounds like a Dio song, doesn't it? <laughs> I was going to say, it's, it's, it's super metal. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, so that's. I mean, this is like. This is a Jesus who knows who he is yeah. and desperately wants other people to, to acknowledge it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I wanted to include these two monologues because you see him just go back and forth as I feel like somebody who's completely God and completely man might. Yeah. You know, and, and I feel like and, – and so now I think we can get into some of the, some of the technical and, and artistic elements of the film because it takes a lot – I mean, you know, look at how contradictory these two monologues are. It takes a lot to take these two things and not play the character as a schizophrenic. Yeah, because the film really doesn't, and there have been – people who have suggested and i think even films that have suggested jesus as just a a crazy person yeah um and this this movie doesn't do that it doesn't just right portray him as as someone who yeah like you said schizophrenic or has some sort of personality disorder i do often wonder if jesus was around nowadays how many of his uh friends would tell him that he needs to be on medication (laughs) oh no question about it um and so a lot of credit needs to go to willem dafoe yeah um it's a it's an amazing performance. Defoe is a committed actor. He really in is. Every sense of the word. I mean, he's a powerhouse. Yeah, and he can be incredibly funny. He can be incredibly uh, frightening. He can be incredibly uh, passionate. Like it's <laughs> he's in both this film and Antichrist. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and he you know he's been the Green Goblin. He's yeah. been Max Shrek from uh, Nosferatu. Yeah. Um, you know, he was in, in Klaus in uh, in uh, Life Aquatic. Life Aquatic. Yeah, and he did a voice in uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, that's right. He does. Um, <clears throat> he, you know, and and incidentally, he was on a wonderful little uh, show called Fishing with John oh, yeah. with uh, John Lurie, who John Lurie. they they knew each other from this film, and uh, and basically he and and John Lurie go ice fishing, and Willem Dafoe decides he's going to sort of. Clearly, he's going to play a character named Willem Dafoe, who is childlike <laughs> and loves ice fishing, and it's delightful. And so, and so, his willing his willingness and his ability to go between genres like the only way to do that is to commit to every single character you play, and and really trying to get inside that character. And so, like, 
So to watch him play these two different elements of Christ and make it consistent. There's good writing there, certainly. Yeah. But the wrong actor could have could make either of these two things way too extreme and and have it be off-putting and have it just be merely frustrating. But I really feel like and that's the thing. There also does need to be an element of crazy to him because not everybody who hears what he says accepts it. People can say like he's crazy, you know, so there needs to be kind of a wild eyed quality to it. And so, um, so it, like, and he was not nominated for best actor. And I feel like that is a, uh, an oversight. Um, the film got one Oscar nomination for best director it it actually also got some a Razzie nomination for Harvey Keitel, um, which we'll talk about in a moment. But um, but yeah, if you are a fan of of Willem Dafoe, I mean, this is this is him in a nutshell. Is his ability to play all of these things? And there's a lot of ex- there's extreme imagery. There's I don't know. It really is. I cannot speak well enough about his performance because and words just don't seem they don't seem right for <laughs> for how good it is and may, and i feel like it's like ah, maybe i'm being hyperbolic no i'm not like i mean do you what do you think no i think it's a fantastic performance I, it's just there's so much that you have to do to be able to play a character who is first off possibly the most famous historical character ever mm-hmm. um Secondly, has to have these massive swings between someone who doesn't doesn't trust themselves, doesn't you know, is down on themselves in this way, and then has to command people to follow him uh, with with authority, and he he does all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to talk about some of the other uh, performances. Um, so I mentioned Harvey Keitel getting nominated for a Razzie. Uh, I think that is unfortunate. I think, and I know that I was I was on the uh, the Criterion cast a long time ago talking about this film, and uh, and I had to defend Harvey Keitel's performance to them as well because yeah, he still has that New York accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it should be noted, uh, Willem Dafoe has an American accent. Yeah. Barbara Hershey has an American accent. Yeah. Incidentally, it has been noted uh, elsewhere that uh, all the Jews uh, have American accents, all the Romans have British accents. Hmm. Um, I have a theory as to why that might be and why that uh, is something that Scorsese was okay with, um, which I'll talk about in a moment. There's a lot of things I'll be talking we about all, in a moment. We keep talking about what we're going to talk yeah. about later. But, um, yeah, I'll talk about it now. Go ahead. You know, why not? Um, I think there is a... I think Scorsese really works hard to make this movie very American. Mm. Um, specifically, when exploring some of the things that Jesus gave up. Uh, you know, a lot of people focus on the pain of Jesus' death. What they don't uh, talk about, and what I didn't think about until this film, is the things that he gave up. Not merely his life, but what a life can be. Mm-hmm. Marriage, children, uh, a career, respect yeah. within a community, like, and just many more years of life. All the things that people strive for. Yes, and specifically... Very American things. A lot of the, things that yeah. are the American dream. Absolutely. And so by, I think, by focusing on that and knowing that you're making a movie for an American audience, so emphasizing the very American things that he can that he gave up, giving him an American accent, having the oppressors be British, something that, frankly, Americans 
respond to. Yeah. Um, that we still somehow identify with, even though, like, yeah. w- there are many of us who didn't even have uh, ancestors who were yeah. in the United States at the time. Yeah, but it just, it makes sense to us. We know a certain degree of American history, and so by having the oppressed be American and the oppressors be British and having and emphasizing what Jesus gave up and having it be a specifically American thing. Like I think he, I think Scorsese is really, really trying to appeal to an American audience and get them to relate with their own lives and experiences to Christ as much as possible. Um, So that's, that's why I like that that Willem Dafoe speaks with an American accent. It's why I'm okay with Harvey Keitel speaking with a New York accent. Um, and then there are people who have a problem with Harvey Keitel's performances in everything. He has a very specific way of speaking that makes it sound as though, um, I don't know, it's his, his the way he, his cadence and his diction, it, it's almost like, this is gonna. This is probably the first time this comparison has ever been made. It reminds me of Gary Cooper. It's very deliberate. It's so deliberate. It sounds like somebody trying to act at times. Hmm. Um, and so, uh, but you have to look at the passion behind it. And you know, uh, Keitel plays Judas as this zealot, and so he plays him very zealous. Hmm. And. Um, and there's a lot of passion there and just the way that they explore who Judas was and the relationship he had with Jesus, which, yeah. you know, a lot of it in the film is just uh, speculation and that sort of thing. But it's it's interesting to explore it because one of the most interesting characters, you know, I won't say characters because that makes it sound, uh, you know, purely fictional. But one of the most interesting figures to me in the Bible is Judas. And a lot mm-hmm. of people are fascinated by Judas. I played Judas once in a, in a play and uh, a play that wanted to explore his motives for doing what he did and mm. uh it was it was great i really i wanted that character and i enjoyed playing him so yeah. um what do you what do you think of uh his character you know and what? his performance the, the i feel like it's a shame that the, the new york accent i think does make him stand out that much more mm-hmm. like i think we don't notice so much the british or the the american and british accents um just because they seem more normal to us i guess um, but I don't know. I, I feel like that, that is just Harvey Keitel's voice. He's not doing an accent. That's just right. the way he sounds. And so I think the fact that his, his accent is so stands out so much as a New York accent, I feel like hurts the performance in the film. I don't think that means he's doing any worse of a performance. I think it, but I think, people are distracted by it. And that's, that's the sense in which I say that it hurts the performance. Um, but outside of that, it's, he's, he's giving a very solid performance. He's clearly putting a lot into the character. We talked about him being very committed to the role. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a, it is a fascinating relationship and the, the closer that, you know the the film presents them as being a lot closer than we might assume just from the the uh the gospel account mm-hmm. and whether or not that's true uh it it just puts an interesting it, it makes that relationship more interesting because we all especially since we know from the beginning he's the one who's going to betray Jesus so uh <laughs> part of you almost expects that the whole time he's going to be like in a corner like you know rubbing his hands and plotting and yeah. like just waiting for someone to, to cross him so he can, 
no pun intended. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that he can, you know, get back at Jesus. But that's not the that's not the character that Harvey Keitel plays. Yeah. It's not it's not the way the character's written either, I guess. But you see him as someone who really believes in Jesus, who's really committed to Jesus, who sees him as a close friend. And who is converted in a number of ways to Jesus's cause. Yeah. Because he is a zealot. He wants to throw off Roman oppression and he would prefer to do it violently. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so much is made of like Jesus wanting to throw off oppression and mm-hmm. like so many other people, um, they assume that that means throw off Roman oppression when in fact it winds up being the oppression of sin. And, yeah. um, and so like, and so there's a, there's a scene where, um, where like he he says like okay I'll go along with you but if I feel like you're straying from this idea of throwing off oppression which again to him means purely Roman oppression if I feel like you're straying I will not hesitate to kill you um, and there comes a time when he is faced with that uh, choice and he chooses and he doesn't want to he he has been won over by what Jesus wants to do yeah so um, and I guess we'll move on to. Uh, Barbara Hershey, who played uh, uh, who plays Mary Magdalene, um, her performance is an interesting one because there's not a lot. There really aren't a lot of uh, women in the film. Uh, Mary, uh, mother of Jesus, plays a smaller role, but uh, but Barbara Barbara Hershey plays uh, Mary Magdalene, and they explore the relationship that Christ has with her, um, and the way that she is transformed over the course of the film because she is a prostitute and she she seems to not be she's not apologetic for it that's who she is but she also just sees and she she clearly hates herself for it but she and she feels a certain degree of shame about it but she also just sort of accepts it as a fact of who she is mm-hmm. and you see just how intrigued she is by Jesus because he does not see her that way he does not look at her with condemnation, and she expects that of all people he would. Hmm. And so you see her slowly but surely. You see her transformation over the course of the film, but it's not a very dramatic one. It, at least it doesn't seem like it. Hmm. Um, and she seems to go back and forth between wanting to justify herself and wanting to be different. And you know, in many ways, like who among us that is Christian couldn't say that? Yeah. So and I think that's a great thing to explore in the nature of Jesus that he he's loving to people in a way that, that uh, I guess makes them reconsider the hatred they have of themselves yeah. or just the idea that uh, the, the way he treated the poor and the marginalized as, yeah. as equals. And you know, that it's a strange thing nowadays. I think it was even more strange then. Um, Cause I, I think, there were a lot stricter social ideas then than now. Yeah. Um, not that we don't have them now. Obviously we do. But uh, if you think of, you know, someone today treating a a prostitute like a, you know, the prostitute as an, as an equal and as someone to be loved. Yeah. Um, and then just kind of magnify that. That's sort of what it was like. Yeah. And we've talked about it before that like just the idea of Jesus like 
you know, like his, the way he deals with like Zacchaeus, like just people, not merely people that are marginalized, but also people that are actively hated within their culture. Yeah. Like people that we would certainly not like, like, uh, I think I made the, I think like a, like a Bernie Madoff or like one Mm -hmm. of these, one of these people that like squanders like the retirement uh, and the pensions of like lower people so that they can get more money. Like that is somebody like that is somebody that Jesus would speak to now. Somebody yeah. that we all hate and say he does not deserve yeah. love or forgiveness. And Jesus says, yes, he does. Everybody does. Yeah. You know? And so, and like, and that, that to me is one of the interesting things. And we'll, you know, um, this is more of just a general discussion of Jesus than about the movie. Um, but I think, but I guess the movie does explore like what that actually, what it actually means and what it would actually look like. Right. But like, that's what we really need to think about is like, who, and we've, we've talked about it over the last month and a half or so that like the person you most hate and the person that it is totally acceptable to hate, mm-hmm. that's who Jesus died for. Yeah. And like, even if there was nobody else around, that is who he died for. Yeah. Yeah. He died for the people that you like too, mm-hmm. but yeah. And that's a very humbling thing. Yeah. Moving on. Um, so some of the other, uh, performances and we'll just kind of, I'll touch on basically the other, uh, the other two that are really notable. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton is not in the movie very much, but he plays Saul slash Paul. Um, and I like the way he plays him. He plays him as, as Saul. He's a very zealous guy who is willing to kill to get what he wants. Mm. Um, and then as Paul, you see that zealotry, zealotry, is that the word? Zeal? Zeal. That sounds right. <laughs> yeah. It's weird when it's just like the smaller word leads to larger words, and then those larger words, you want them to lead to even larger. <laughs> but then they're like, no, no, just go back to what it was. But yeah, so his uh, his zeal, um, he uh, that gets moved into this other thing, and you, w- you wind up seeing him, admittedly in the fantasy sequence, you see him as a sort of fire and brimstone modern fire and brimstone preacher yeah which i think is fascinating yeah um i know that there are some people that are bothered by that Mm -hmm. um and i think it's it's like you know based on what people have said about paul both christian and not christian about just his boldness Mm -hmm. and his not his willingness to alienate people but just his readiness to do so in proclaiming the truth he was kind of a brash person yeah and so Putting him out there this way, I think, is something that's fascinating. Yeah. So I love that performance. I like Harry Dean Stanton in general. I, I think do he's too, an amazing yeah. actor um, who can do more with his craggy face and no <laughs> lines than most people can do with uh, entire monologues. Um, and then we did mention David Bowie. Yeah. I'll get to that in a second. Um, uh, we did mention David Bowie, who plays uh, Pontius Pilate in a really, you know, I mean, this is a, this is a film that really challenges some of the some of our expectations, not, not necessarily our expectations, but just we have images in our head of these various uh, biblical figures. And we have an image of Pontius Pilate as this guy who maybe is uh, condescending and aggressive in, in washing his hands of all this stuff. But the way David Bowie plays him, David Bowie, not an actor that people would necessarily associate with subtlety. Um, <laughs> Not that he's an overactor, but just he's a very theatrical. Yeah, you know, we all we all saw Labyrinth. We get it. Um, but he just the way he's written, it just as a guy who just doesn't want to. He's vaguely exasperated by all this. He doesn't want to deal with it. And uh, 
but he also seems to have a great deal of sympathy for Jesus. Not so much that he's willing to, like, protect him. Right, right. Because he's not, and I mean that, he doesn't believe Jesus necessarily, but he's kind of just astounded by the situation. Yeah. And that, that I think, is consistent with the fact, like, him washing his hands of everything. It's just like, I I don't get this. Like these people are worked into a fury over this. Yeah. And, and that does sort of, for lack of a better term, condemn him. This idea that like, I see nothing wrong with this man, but Hey, what, you know, I'm not going to stand up for what I believe, you know? Yeah. Um, and so oddly enough, the more sympathetic you make him, the more frustrating his actions are. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, a, it's a really great performance. I really love, I really love that scene because yeah, it really does boil down to just one scene. He can be a surprisingly good actor. And sometimes I think it's, it helps that he has this kind of otherworldly quality. Yeah. I think that's a, the reason he gets cast in a lot of things because no. he's from space. Uh, (laughs) how did he get to earth? He fell. I think he fell. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but, uh, yeah, he was very good in the prestige as well. Yeah. And that's the same thing. He plays Tesla who, if you know anything about the life of, of Tesla, he was certainly an otherworldly person. He was kind of, he was kind of nuts. Um, and a (laughs) genius at the same time. He's one of those people, but, uh, he does play Tesla, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. For, for a second, I was like, "Am I thinking of something different?" But, um, but yeah, but it is interesting that like, Pilot's not necessarily such an otherworldly character, which is usually the sort of place we would put a David Bowie. Right. Like, you can almost see David Bowie being Jesus in a movie. Oh, no um, question. That almost seems like more of the obvious a, choice. A hedonistic Jesus, or something yeah. like that. Just a just a crazy Jesus. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it is an interesting, is an interesting casting choice for them. And I believe at some point he does do the voice of Satan as well. Um, in the uh, in the, when Jesus is in the desert, and uh, he is tempted three times. Um, one of them, a uh, a flame bursts out, and you don't see Satan, but you mm-hmm. just see this flame. And Jesus is speaking to it, and the voice I believe is David Bowie. Really? It sounds like him. Mm. So, um, so yeah. Uh, okay, so I do want to also move on to now just the general filmmaking. And here's what I'll say: I've seen a number of movies about Jesus, um, and I've seen passion plays and all that. They're always done in a very straightforward way, mm. a way that one could one would. Okay, I won't say one that I consider to be boring Mm -hmm. and straightforward and just matter of fact and let's get this done. Yeah. Okay? That is not the way Martin Scorsese makes films. Oddly enough, there is only one movie I can think of that he made that way and that's because he's portraying a character that is sort of that way and that's the king of comedy. Mm. Um, And so, but he, he is a vibrant director who has, who is full of, his movies are full of life uh, even when they're incredibly violent, even if they're funny, you know, whatever. Like, he just brings, like, it is an active camera. He uses editing well. He uses music well. And it's just, he wants this to jump off the screen. He wants to engage you. He wants you to feel like this is not some stodgy old story that you heard about in church. This is something that is relevant to you. And by ha- by using, I would say, very mod- having a very modern aesthetic, 
you know, it not unlike it's not unlike you know having the characters use just their regular American accents and British accents, like something you can relate to, and the filmmaking style is something you can relate to as well. Um, and I think that's that's a that's a choice that you know it, just as as much as the uh, the writing is there and the and the the performances are there the filmic if if that was all there but it was done but it just sat there on the screen like so many other uh passion stories like after a certain point it's like yeah okay fine like you'd get tired of it but just yeah. he wants you to be there he wants you to listen and watch as people of the time would yeah he wants he does the film in a way that he wants the filmmaking style to affect you rather mm-hmm. than rely on just the words of Jesus and the nature of the story to be enough to move you. Yeah. Um, and not to say that it isn't a moving story and, you know, that Jesus doesn't have amazing things, things to say, but, yeah. uh, you know, Scorsese is also trying to make a good movie. He's yes. trying to combine those elements and, and add something to it yeah. and show it in a different way. If you're not showing it in a different way, then you're, there's no reason to make the movie kind of, you know, it's like yeah. they made the movie already. It's been made a million times. Like there's a million Jesus movies. So I, don't know, I, I think sometimes of this movie, uh, in relation with a quote that I think I th- somebody said about, uh, what did Woodrow Wilson said about, uh, birth of a nation. He said it was like writing history with lightning or yeah, something like that. And that's, I kind of think of, of this movie that way that yeah, it's like a story that you know, but there's something that's like exciting and vibrant about it. Yeah. And you know, it happens from time to time. I mean, really, I mean, when you think about it, it's almost like, uh, like if Tarantino were to, make a, a film about Jesus. Like what would he do? You <laughs> I know? can't imagine. Um, and admittedly like, like with Django Unchained, like he borrows from, uh, you know, uh, spaghetti Westerns, which mm-hmm. already had a kind of a vibrance to them. Yeah. Um, but like with inglorious bastards, just, it's like, yeah, I recognize that this takes place in the forties, but I don't care. I'm making my movie and I want you to be interested. So here we go. Yeah. Um, and so I think in Tarantino's movie, Jesus somehow gets off the cross and kills all the Romans. I mean, there he, is, I believe in S- have to, there's an SNL sketch in which Jesus played by Christoph Waltz, uh, gets <laughs> off the cross and it's, I believe it's, it's uh, like Jesus uncrossed or something, but Jesus is spelled <laughs> with a D in front of it. So, um, <laughs> So yeah, it's uh, it's worth seeking out. I, I watched it, and uh, man, that Christoph Waltz—he can do no wrong in my eyes. I love him; <laughs> he's great. But um, so, and we'll we'll get to this. Uh, another uh, another choice that Scorsese makes in kind of modernizing the story and sort of Americanizing it, um, or at least making it palatable to American audiences, uh, rather, um, is having Peter Gabriel do the music. And uh, I own the soundtrack. I think we'll actually play something from it um, in, a, in a moment. Uh, always in a moment. Um, and I love that music. I think it's, you know, it's in the same way that the, the film refuses to be passive, the music does not fade into the background. It is not merely meant to be back there and underscore the emotion. This informs the emotion. This lets mm-hmm. you know how you should feel. And there are, there are times when, like, you see... Jesus following growing and just the way the the instrumentation just builds and builds and you you feel like the, like you're watching something important and something exciting 
and you're watching it develop and it's just it's just amazing throughout you know and uh and so I think we'll actually play uh, a bit. I don't. I don't know the. I don't have it in front of me. But um, but yeah, this uh, this is the piece of music that plays during a montage where you see G- Jesus and and a few a handful of disciples walking along, and then you see cross. You see these uh, these dissolves where um, the crowd gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and you realize okay, this is catching on, and so we will play that now for your listening pleasure.
Okay, so we're back. Thanks, everybody, for uh, listening to that. Not that you had much of a choice. Um, I guess you could have fast-forwarded <laughs> through it. You could have. Wanted. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for those of you that didn't do that. On the podcast uh, podcast app on your phone, there's that little thing where you can skip forwards 30 seconds. Oh, I don't have Which that. is, I think, what people use now for uh, theme songs for podcasts. <laughs> I don't blame them, you know. Yeah. That, uh, that BP theme song is 24 seconds. Yeah. So just about right. And I think we're around 40 seconds. I don't totally recall. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I could see people just moving, just moving right ahead. Like, yeah, I know it already. Maybe, maybe you're very familiar with the Peter Gabriel soundtrack to last temptation of Christ. Who isn't anyway, moving on, probably Phil Collins. Yeah. I don't want anything to do with that guy. (laughs) Um, so okay, so uh, let's move on, and let's let's actually move towards uh, the the end of the film, by which I mean the last fifty minutes. <laughs> um, so okay, Jesus has been betrayed, so to speak. Uh, he sort of orchestrated it himself, um, but he's up there on the cross. He's in horrible pain, as one would expect, and he sees this uh, little girl. And this little girl reveals herself as like an angel, and she says, you know, you're actually not the Son of God. You're not the Messiah. You are misinformed, uh, so I can I can bring you down. You know, it, it's okay, and, and you don't have to go through with this. So she brings him down off the cross and basically just – and he's relieved, not merely – to not be on the cross anymore, but to not bear the the weight of being that. Of man's sin. Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty heavy. Yeah. And, uh, and so he then goes on to just live a regular life. And he, he winds up marrying Mary Magdalene. Now, here's the thing. One of the big problems that people had with Last Temptation of Christ was a sex scene that happens between Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Now, it is amazing what context can do for things because, A, the sex scene is actually very tasteful. It's not, but I think people just had a problem with it in concept. But they need to recognize that in the context of the film, it is during this scene, this sequence, which is later revealed to be a fantasy sequence, but that's beside the point. Hmm. In this, he is not the Messiah, he is not the Son of God, and incidentally, he gets married to Mary Magdalene. It is not, a, he doesn't approach her as a client, mm-hmm. he is, it, it is not lustful, it is this great and beautiful thing, and, in, and so I want to point this out, um... Uh, and I'll, actually, I'll, I'll I'll bring this up. Um, so, during the se- the sequence where Jesus is in the desert and he's being tempted, um, he says to Satan, "You're here to trick me." And Satan says, "Trick you to love and care for a woman to have a family? This is a trick. Why are you trying to save the world? Aren't your own sins enough for you? What arrogance to think you can save the world? The world doesn't have to be saved. Save yourself. Find love." And then Jesus says, "I have love." Okay, so um, to love and care for a woman, to have a family, to find love, okay? There's nothing inherently wrong with those things, okay? Mm -hmm. And when we talk about the things that Jesus gave up, Mm -hmm. 
we do talk about having a wife, having a family, but we also talk about if I, you know, if I'm, if I'm being totally honest, we're talking about sex as well. Mm -hmm. And sex is pretty awesome, you know? And so like, and it is a very human thing Mm -hmm. and something that because he chose, because he did not get married, something that he did not experience. And so I think it's somewhat imperative for there to be a sex scene, a loving, tasteful one depicted between him and the woman that he loves and is married to. Right, because the sequence is about what he could have had if he was not the son of God. Yeah. If he was not crucified, if he didn't have this mission. Yeah. Um, so it makes perfect sense to have this. And, you know, even if, uh, even if it were the case that he wasn't God and, uh, even if it were the case that he wasn't God, which we are not saying, and the movie is not saying, right? Um, then why would there be any problem with this scene? Yeah, yeah. And incidentally, uh, later on in the fantasy sequence, he's much older. Uh, you know, and like that's one of the other things. Like, it's like how do you? The fantasy sequence is shot differently. Yeah. Um, and it moves much faster. It moves through the rest of his life. Right, and it jumps around kind of in a, in yeah. a way that it's not, it doesn't seem to be a, like, a, it, there's no clear narrative, like, where one result, one action leads to another. Like, yeah. there, there's no chain of events, really. It's just scenes. It, it's it's like the idea of someone's life flashing before their eyes. It yeah. really, it's, it is that, except instead of his past life, this is yeah. the possible uh, future life that he could or could have had. Yeah. And so, you know, I, it, okay. I apologize if I sound uh, judgmental or condescending, but it does astound me that people can watch that and think like that is even before the, and I guess you sort of did to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but, um, but I mean, when I watched it, like I think the pacing is different. It's shot differently. It's cut together differently. And the, events that are depicted like i assumed it was a fantasy sequence or a dream sequence or something like that or mm-hmm. or pure or speculation within the story um and so uh so i do find it interesting that people uh you know move on uh, that that they not move on that they like that they dismiss it mm. and and just say oh this is this is just trash and it's like but but don't you want to see like where it's going like this is clearly not what the movie was before that. So what is it now? Yeah. And so, and you, I mean, you know, you were, you were like that. And I apologize if I was, uh, if I'm demeaning to your mindset while watching it. Um, you know, while you were watching this thing, you, you ex- expressed uh, getting kind of frustrated by it. Mm-hmm. Um, can you take us through that a little bit? I, I think my frustrations were rooted in it. I, I didn't recognize it at all as a dream sequence. I oh, think okay. I did recognize that something was different about it and I didn't ex- entirely understand what was going on. Um, maybe I suspected that partially it might come back. Um, but it, there was a point when I felt like the movie was suggesting that, that this is the reality, that Jesus was actually just a man. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't it have been so much better if if God in this impersonal, uh, vague sense, as movies often like to depict God, yeah. um, came down and brought him off the cross and said, no, no, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Um 
it's it's just a mistake that you've made here I, here I want you to have a, a life outside of that so if you're if you're thinking that the film is trying to present that that Jesus was not actually God and it would have been better if he had realized that and not stuck with with uh, you know ferocity to this to this incorrect idea then wouldn't that have been so much better mm-hmm but that's not what the film is saying. So yeah. when you come to that ending, then you're like, okay, <laughs> which I think is one reason that it's good to see the movie twice mm-hmm. at least, because if you're, if during that last 45 minutes or whatever it is, you're, you're engaging with the movie on that wavelength, then when it hits the end, you're like, okay, everything that I was thinking about this last 45 minutes because of an assumption that I had about it is now incorrect. Yeah. So it's better to go back through it a second time with that in mind. And then you have other things that you can, that you can see about it. Yeah. Um, because that, that when you realize what it is, I think it's a fascinating idea that, that it's in the title. This was, this might have been the last temptation of Christ, the temptation right. to come down off the cross and not be Jesus and not die for everyone since he, it's something that, we know is biblically factual that he didn't want to, or mm-hmm. at least part of him didn't want to, because he says that. So the idea that on the cross, he might be thinking the same thing is not at all outside the realm of possibility. Yeah. And it's, Oh shoot. What is the, I don't remember the name of, uh, this short story, but I read it in high school and it's basically, uh, and I, I saw a short film adaptation of it as well. In which these uh, guys, I think during the Civil War or something like that, they are going to be uh, uh, like hanged off a bridge or something like that. Like I think they're deserters or something like that. And so, um, so they are, you know, the ropes are tied to their necks and and uh, and they get pushed off. And two guys hang, and one guy uh, the rope breaks. And he falls into the water and gets, you know, whisked down down the river. And uh, he, you know, gets the rope loose and he escapes and he, uh, he just kind of goes off into the country and, you know, grows a big beard and and uh, and uh, like meets and like goes into town and like gets a job and like meets a nice woman and settles down and all that. And it's just and. And it's like he's been given like a second chance, and then, and then everything snaps back into reality as the rope snaps his neck, and that is where his mind went. Like all the like a, a desperate desire for this thing to happen. And by the way, you see the same thing in Twenty Fifth Hour. Um, this idea of the, oh, yeah. what could be, and yeah. what, and certainly what what you would like to be. Mm-hmm. Bef- but now, of course, in the case in the case of. Uh, that story i mean it's you know this guy dies and he doesn't have much of a choice in the matter but like in 25th hour and last temptation of christ like they could make that happen yeah but they instead choose this other thing because that is what needs to happen mm-hmm. and so um and i'll get to the and so this this brings us into uh, a sequence that i really like involving paul um in which it's during the fantasy sequence. It's years later, and Jesus is walking along, and he hears Paul, played wonderfully by Harry Dean Stanton, preaching about this man, Jesus, who died and was resurrected. And Jesus 
is furious that it's like no i didn't die and i wasn't resurrected so he goes and he and he confronts paul and he says no 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 i am the guy you're talking about and none of that happened and paul responds in like there's a lot of ways to read his response one could say it's a very very cynical way of viewing things um but it also sort i I view it as just exploration and in a very obvious not in a bad way uh, I'll say overt, let's say overt, a very overt exploration of the theme in which Paul says, it, like he actually takes umbrage with Jesus trying to correct him. Mm-hmm. And he says, you see, you don't know how much people need God. You don't know how happy he can make them. He can make them happy to do anything, make them happy to die, make them happy to die, and they'll die for the sake of Christ. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God, the Messiah, not you, not for your sake. You know, I'm glad I met you because now I can forget all about you. My Jesus is much more important and much more powerful. And, you know, you you look at that and you can you can be very cynical about it and say that, like, mm-hmm. that Paul would... And people have said in the past that, like, ah, Paul just made Jesus up. Um, or at least that aspect of Jesus, the, the divine aspect of Jesus. And this sort of entertains that notion. Um, but it also talks about this this idea of, like, emphasizing the necessity of Jesus and and the sacrifice of Jesus um, and it's it's Jesus being being faced with this in, in the midst of a fantasy sequence um, it's okay so this is my own reading of this uh, but it's almost as though in the midst of the fantasy sequence sequence which could be in the midst of the temptation, it's almost as though God himself intervenes and says, no, this is, it's like, this is, this is the hope that people have and that people need. Wouldn't it be nice if it was true? Yeah. Otherwise, this man is a liar and all the hope that he provides people is a lie. Yeah. It's presenting, it, it's presenting the ideas of what Jesus will eventually become mm-hmm. because he does decide to, to to die on the cross he does decide to make that sacrifice and it's you see here why it's necessary Mm -hmm. and so it's like in his mind jesus is seeing this future where um what needs to happen is for this for for, it's necessary for what paul's saying to be true Mm -hmm. for all the reasons that he's that he's uh he's outlining and so when he speaks to Jesus here and says, I'm, I'm glad I can all, I can forget all about you. He's speaking to not the actual Jesus, but this idea of Jesus and this sort of phantom temptation of, yeah. of, uh, of himself. And you also see, because previously you saw Saul and you saw him willing to kill. And actually he does kill, um, for his, you know, his, his cause and then you see this, and you see that, yes, he still has the zeal, as we discussed earlier, mm-hmm. um, but you see him a transformed person who wants, who desperately wants to give people hope, not through violence, uh-huh. not through force, but through this other thing. He has embraced it. And so you actually see just how transformative this Jesus can be. Yeah. And so... Um, so while that scene can be a little off-putting to some people, I think there's a lot going on there thematically. Um, and so finally, uh, we get to a point where 
Rome is burning and Jesus is an old man and he's dying. And various disciples come in to see him as he's dying. Uh, James and uh, John and uh, and they're also old men and they're t- and they're approaching him like oh what a what a good friend and, and all that it's nice to see you again and then Judas shows up and Judas is angry because hey you asked me to betray you so that you could die for these people and you could die for their sins and give the world hope and then you chickened out you know, and like you, you, you made me do this thing. You made me compromise what I wanted to do, and then you didn't. You know, and it's and it's a very powerful scene. Yeah. Um, and then Jesus, the old man, like gets up out of bed and is like, and is so starts to regret his life and the choices that he that he has made, specifically that choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rome is burning, and he just sees violence all around. Because this is what it is without the actual risen Christ is people mm-hmm. will resort to force. Um, even though there is still this, you know, Paul guy running around. And so um, and so he just sees this and, and finally falls to his knees and says, I-, I want to do this. I want, you know, I want to die for people's sins. I want to, you know rise again and then he says i want to be the the messiah and then boom the minute he says that there he is back on the cross and people uh screaming at him and he looks around and and like and smiles because this is where you know this is where he uh wants to be Mm -hmm. and at that point he starts to die and he says it is accomplished and he dies with a smile on his face um and then there's a interesting little effect there where it uh, the the film seems to sort of burn out uh, or or something like that. And apparently that was a uh, you know you hear the, you hear these stories uh, and uh, this is apparently the this is the official story that uh, uh, as that scene was shot um, like there was something wrong with the camera and light came in and exposed part of the film. And Scorsese chose to use that, and that is what creates that very strange effect there at the end. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's interesting. And then, um, and then Peter's Ga- Peter Gabriel's uh, music comes in, and it is this triumphant, exciting uh, music that implies like this is a great and wonderful thing that the death of Jesus and the rise of Christianity is a good thing that gave people hope. And there's a lot of people out there that say that religion in general and Christianity quite specifically has done a lot of terrible things and they're right. Um, let's give them their due. Um, but that as, as frustrating as Christianity can be, uh, Christ himself, uh, is transformative and his death and him accepting who he was was a good thing maybe the best well you and i believe the best thing but the filmmakers argue maybe one of maybe the best thing that could ever happen to people and so um and we and and we look back over the film and we see uh, e- even in the fantasy sequence, we see what Saul became. We see Mary Magdalene striving to change. We see the message of love and boldness and and all of that. And we see, yes, this is a good thing. What he has done, and um, 
And by the way, I, it occurs to me, at no point have we talked about the fact that like the film does explore his humanity, but he is still able to perform miracles yeah in the film so the film does not say he's merely a man right. he does do amazing things as well yeah. he cures the blind and, and all that sort of thing so and he you know casts demons out and, and all that so the film does not the film is not necessarily uh, uh ambiguous about that it explores his humanity but it still acknowledges this whole other aspect so i i feel like i need to mention that so that we don't make it seem as though there's this fantasy sequence and then this crazy man decided he <laughs> wanted to be considered this thing yeah so so that is the note that the film goes out on triumph hope optimism uh everything that that and boldness everything that jesus uh was and uh and so um, and so, and, and so, you know, Josh, you, uh, as you were watching it, it was of course this moment that brought you back to embracing the film. Um, did yeah. you, did you wind up? Cause I mean, at that point, I mean, when I was watching it, I mean, I was, I wasn't sobbing cause I don't, I, I tend not to be remarkably emotional, but I, I, I had tears in my eyes and I just felt so like, I just started praying immediately and just hmm. saying like, you know, thank you so much for what you gave up for me mm-hmm. um you know and, and i felt closer to jesus after watching that than certainly any other movie that i had seen um and closer than a lot of the sermons that i had heard songs that i had heard mm-hmm. and it was just it, i had felt so because by emphasizing his humanity you emphasize emphasize a certain frailty that we can all relate to, but that he was able to, to overcome that and do what so few of us ever could. Um, I say so few of us, but I I mean, people sacrifice themselves for other people all the time, you know? So I don't mean to say that like, he's the only one that ever did that, but, um, but yeah, but it's paying the price that he did not deserve to pay. So, um, so yeah, that was that was my response. What was what was yours? And of course, you watched it in a, in a class, right? Yeah. So I don't feel like I had. I honestly didn't have any kind of emotional response to it. I don't think I was looking at it purely from a clinical kind of intellectual standpoint. Um, that was my intention when I started watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that, I think that speaks to the power of the film, then. So that's that's good. But uh, yeah, I think then my response to it was like, all right, well, now that this has ended differently than I expected then the message is not what I had suspected. So I have mm-hmm. to kind of like think about how, uh, how the movie ought to be seen. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I feel like that speaks a little bit to the idea of, um, the importance of just how you experience a film being, uh, what you think about it. Because I feel like I, I maybe don't give that as much credence as, as other people do. I don't think it's totally about your experience and what you bring into the film. Um, which I think there are some schools of thought who say that that's what it is. Like, it's it's whatever you get out of it. It's whatever you bring into it. And then um, I sort of think your that, experience but I do think it. that you have kind of an, ob- an obligation to not necessarily try to figure out what the filmmaker is saying, but try to at least meet them where they are. 
Yeah, because I think also bringing yourself into it as well. Because I think other otherwise you're just waiting for all you're waiting for the art to come to you. You're like until right. this engages me with me where I am, then it's not good. And I yeah. think that's a very closed minded way to look at film in general, uh, film and art in general. Um. So, uh, yeah, I th- I think it gave me gave me pause, I guess, to to look at it a little bit differently, and um. It was it was important to me to remember too that uh, Scorsese is certainly a person who has a connection with with faith. He he, for those who don't know, he studied to be a priest, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> for for any either Christians or non Christians who might say like, well, he doesn't know very much about the about the true story he probably knows more than you do there's a good chance mm-hmm. um unless any of you studied to to be in the ministry in which case good for you well done yeah um but uh but yeah and i was trying to this i was trying to look this up and i internet is not working but i i'm trying to remember <laughs> if the writer of the book also has some kind of faith connection like i feel like he could have been uh uh you know, in something in the Catholic Church, like a priest or a monk or something. I don't recall. Um, and I wish I could find that now because that would, that would make a difference. Um, but uh, well, and I know that Paul Schrader is somebody that uh, is frequently. Um, I don't know if he has necessarily a connection with it, but I know that he is very preoccupied with spirituality in general. But like this idea of, you know forgiveness of oneself um this idea of justice versus uh grace and that sort of thing it's something that he is uh that he explores a lot like i mean he wrote he were he works with scorsese a fair amount like he wrote taxi driver and raging bull and then in his own movies he he made affliction he made adam resurrected he made hardcore he made autofocus light sleeper um a number, a number of other films that I can't uh, pull right now, but um, but yeah, he tends to deal with people who have very clear moral compasses, and that they usually don't live up to them. And so, what do they then do with that? Um, and so it's so yeah, it's clearly something that I think all three men involved uh, were fascinated with. Yeah, and that they really were passionate about in their own lives. But uh, any luck there? Yeah, I see you got something pulled up. Yeah. Um, he was a... Kazantzakis was a philosopher, it says. Um, <laughs> waiting through his biography now. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in, looks like he was involved in the Greek government somehow, hmm. which is interesting. Um, Man, this guy's fascinating. Yeah, he also wrote Zorba the Greek. Ah, Yes. And uh, they were recommended that he be awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1957, but he lost to Albert Camus by one vote. Boo. What's that guy ever done? <laughs> yeah, I know. Just tell you, he's a stranger to me. I'll say that. <laughs> um, I think of him more as a l'étranger. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I want to um, move into uh, just this last part, and uh, 
I'm not necessarily going to apologize for it, but I do know that some people may not be thrilled with where we are headed right now. Um, so we're talking about Last Temptation of Christ, which means we're talking about the character of Christ, and we're talking about what he did. Um, and, you know, we're dealing with this idea of what was necessary and why was it necessary and that sort of thing. So, um, so I have a number of verses here that speak to who Christ was, what he did, why we need it, and that sort of thing. And, you know, it's something that I feel like we don't talk about very much on the show. Um, I think we just sort of assume that people know the gospel, and it's probably a fair assumption. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I feel like it's something that, from time to time, we should touch on. Yeah, and if, on that note, if there's anyone, any part of this episode where you feel like we say something that sounds Christianese and doesn't make sense to you, we're happy to explain that to anybody. If... Yeah. There's like a turn of phrase or a reference to something that sounds like uh, there's more information behind it that doesn't make sense to you. Please feel free to ask us. We're happy to answer questions like that. Yeah. We were, I mean, we were raised in the church, so there are terms that we know that people who weren't raised in the church probably, you know, probably don't know. Yeah. So, and that's not, and by the way, that's not to say like we're awesome. Uh, No, no. Maybe quite the opposite. No, it's just to say that like we have more exposure to, to, the life of Christ and the ideas behind Christ. And, and we've had numerous conversations with each other and other Christians and pastors and family and people like that about the reasons that Christ died, the, you know, the nature of him being God and man, the, the idea of bearing sin and all, all, all of these things. So, um, if any of those just sound like crazy, (laughs) religious speak to you and don't seem to make any kind of sense please feel free to to ask us yeah so i have a number of uh of bible verses i'm sure many of you christian or otherwise know them but i wanted to say them anyway so um and uh, i think maybe we'll just go ahead and and alternate so uh, i'll start with this one that everybody knows uh you've you've seen it at uh, many popular sporting events um or at least maybe you've seen just the the book and the and the chapter and verse, but you don't know what it actually means, and you never bothered to look it up. So this is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So that one, fairly, I, I've, I'm not sure how much we should explain these. That one fairly self explanatory, but we'll move on. So uh, we'll go with Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. Josh, go get him. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay. So that one... You know, it's interesting. I had I'd known that last part, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I was very familiar with that verse. But the stuff before it, I like that it almost qualifies it a little bit by yeah. saying, like, look, there are, like I said earlier, it's like, there are people that will die for other people. and it, and But chances are they, they'll probably feel fond of that person that, for which they're they are dying. Right. And, and sometimes you'll die for a stranger, but at the same time, you you probably assume in that moment that uh, that that person is an, is an okay person. Um, whereas if somebody is a horrible criminal or something like that, we, we saw this in uh, in The Dark Knight. 
um, you know, there is a boat full of regular people and a boat full of uh, criminals and the regular people like they had their chance, mm. you know what I mean? And so, but this says like, uh, a good person, you know, for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But in this instance, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knows that we're not good people, but he did it anyway. Yeah. Um, okay. So here is second Corinthians five twenty one. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so, of course, the idea there is uh, a replacement kind of thing and, you know, this idea of justice, um, that there is, I'd venture to say punishment, but let's just go ahead and say consequences. Mm -hmm. There are consequences to sin, and sin can be a thing you do or it could be just the general rebellion against God. And we have that, and Jesus did not. But he chose to take that on um, so that we could be that righteousness. And speaking of which, here's Romans 3, verses 22 through 24. Josh, go ahead. Talking of righteousness, uh, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Okay. And I will uh, jump to Romans 6, verses 22 and 23. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right. And uh, so you've got this long one here. Sorry. The next one is Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay. Uh, I do like I do like that section. I mean, I like all of these, but uh, there are certain, certain uh, buzzwords for me, and one of them is shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of being put to shame. Um, you know, this, I, just something that I... There's a great book, I don't remember the name of the author, but uh, a great book called Shame and Grace, and it talks about this, this idea of shame and, what's, and the difference between that and guilt, um, and, that, uh, and that shame comes with just a, a kind of a hatred or a disgust with who you are, as opposed to guilt is a disgust with what you've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I tend to have shame issues um, that uh, come up in various forms, and... Uh, so this idea of being put to shame, which basically is like just being shamed for something that is more than merely what you've done, but who you are at your core. Um, and this idea that uh, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame because at that point you have been made a new creation. Hey, by the way, Second Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. Um and so it's that idea that like these things that uh, that you might feel guilty for, you might feel shame, uh, you know, in a deeper way that, you know, these are the things that, you know, are are put aside 
and and I remember I talked to somebody in, in in school about this, and it was a very it was a very strange thing. It was like one of the only one of the only uh, uh, examples of me talking to a non Christian in school, and the non Christian says stuff that you that like growing up you heard someone might say, but you're like certainly no one would say that, right? <laughs> and this guy did say it, and it was very strange, and it was just this idea of like. <clears throat> This idea of like, uh, and I didn't start the conversation. By the way, it was very strange, and uh, that that rarely happens as well. But he said this idea of like, well, why you know, why would he do that? Why would he die for me? That seems totally unfair. Um, he's like, I almost don't want that to happen. It's like, why? And I said, ah, why don't you want it to happen? He's like, because then I feel like indebted. It's like, well, yeah, that that is, I guess, kind of the idea. But mm-hmm. isn't that a good debt to be in? Yeah. And when someone saves your life, saves your soul, gives you self-respect and gives you love and joy and grace, like that's not the worst debt to be in. It's kind of the best. And by the way, now that I'm married, um, there is a reason that, uh, that the Bible compares Jesus love for, for the church to, to being married. And I think it's this idea that like, you know, I feel, I feel obliged to do things for my wife to to love her and serve her and it's not i I say obliged but i don't i don't say that it's like an obligation or that it's just like ugh, this is such a hassle it's like that it's something i do because i'm stuck with it now i do it because i love her and and what's more she loves me and it's this weird thing it seems like like oh well she's you know She's buying your uh, loyalty by loving you. It's like that's not quite how it works, but uh, it's it's a it's a good kind of bondage. That's why there's a phrase here, you know, when it says "slaves of God," mm-hmm. and you know, terms like "slave" are very. That's a buzzword. Yeah, it's a buzzword. It's very negative, and it, it, fair enough. Um, but being slaves of men is different than being slaves of God, because um, this is this, you know, s- slave owners that we know of would probably not die for their slaves. Uh, but this is somebody that did. And mm-hmm. so probably not the worst thing to be uh, a slave to them. Yeah. I had an online uh, conversation with somebody uh, back when More Than One Lesson had a, uh, a forum. Then I realized that there's not nearly enough people that listen <laughs> to justify that. Um, but yeah, and so uh, somebody mentioned this idea of being a sheep. Uh, you know, that... Um, and that that has taken on a certain connotation that like, ah, oh, we don't want to be sheep. We don't want to be followers. And I remember saying like, I do understand why you would say that. Nobody wants to be that. But to me, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Bob Dylan said, you know, you're going to have to serve somebody. It's like, we're, we're all followers of somebody. So the question then becomes not, are we followers, but what are we following? Yeah. You know, it's like being a sheep is not the issue. Who is the shepherd? And, uh, and in this case, we've got uh, a shepherd that is willing to die for his sheep. And that is a shepherd worth following. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, I'm sure that uh, this episode will spark some reactions. Um, and uh, we're perfectly fine with that. If you have any, As Josh said, if you have any questions, you can email me, Tyler at morethanonelesson.com, or Josh, Josh at morethanonelesson.com. You can email both of us. Um, and you can always leave comments in the uh, comment section of this episode. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash more lessons. You can find Josh on Twitter at the Josh long at the Josh long. Uh, you can join our Facebook group, 
which I never have that uh, URL in front of me, but you can basically click on the uh, the Facebook link on morethanonelesson.com, and that'll take you right there. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Josh, thanks for uh, being part of this. Thank you. And uh, we'll get you next time. Bye. <laughs>